Welcome to Ride Around the Road, the creative podcast that helps you get those pesky voices out of your head and onto the page. And remember, it's the journey that matters. Waltzing Australia, written by Tim Borthwick and read by Jack Thompson. I was sitting out in Winton on a stool beside the bar when a bloke came on the telly with his trusty old guitar with a rousing, loud rendition and the punters sang along to a song about a swagman and a western billabong. It was international rugby at its quintessential best and that song that he was singing was inspired in the West and it stirred a lot of passion and it fired up the soul and it all began near Winton, by a muddy waterhole. When Banjo wrote the lyrics by a diamantina moon and the talented Christina put the ditty to a tune, they could never have imagined how the song would play a part in the shaping of our country and in every Aussie heart. And I felt the banjo's presence from my stool beside the bar as I watched that game of rugby on that foreign field afar. And I saw the young Christina with a songbook in her hand, while a hundred thousand Aussies were all cheering from the stand. Now from sporting fields and stadiums both here and round the world, and wherever there's a contest or an Aussie flag unfurled, it's our unofficial anthem and it's sung with joy and pride from the cities and the beaches out across the countryside. And I cannot help but marvel how the song has been embraced by so many generations and the passion it has placed in the hearts of all Australians when they hear it being sung from the oldest of our people to the youngest of our young from the rolling plains at sundown to that western waterhole, to a rugby international when we kick the winning goal. It's the song that bonds Australians, and you'll hear them proudly say it was written out in Queensland and away out Winton Way. From Twickenham in England to the dusty plains out back, From the hallowed turf in London to a swagman on the track, it all started here, near Winton, with the spirit of a soul who had waltzed his old Matilda to a muddy waterhole. And I'd like to think the swagman is an avid rugby fan, for that song we sing together has immortalised the man. When the crowds rise up in chorus and we hold our head up high, we can feel the jolly swagman and his spirit waltzing by. And I'd like to thank the banjo for the lyrics that he wrote and his friendship with Christina that all started with a note. And that poor forgotten swagman who has left us with a song and whose ghost may waltz forever by that Western Billabong. And good morning and welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Uh, This time, everyone, we really are on the road. I'd like to welcome Tim Borthwick. Uh, Welcome, Tim. Uh, Thank you very much, Melinda. It's good to be here. 
Yeah, now I have got a true blue bush poet with me and I'm so excited because I love bush, bush poetry and I always have. Tim is the author of Waltzing Australia, uh, Stories and Ballads Under the Outback Sky. Now, for you, my listeners and me, how could we resist such a title? Tim, how did that book come about? The book came about, it's a fairly long story, Melinda, but I'll go into it uh, uh, briefly. I've been writing, I guess, for about 18 years, mainly for family and friends, and I'm always on the lookout for a bit of a different different story. And I actually got out to the first Outback Writers Festival in, in Winton in 2016, and, and the idea of this Writers Festival is to encourage up-and-coming authors and and to hear a bit of feedback from established authors, how they got to be published and things like that. And I was there, and a lady from Sydney, Sue Williams, she happened to be there at the time, and, and she'd just written a book about Fred Brophy in the last of the old-time boxing tents. And she told us this funny yarn, how she went into training herself and and got in the ring, and she fought a girl called the Beaver, and... And I don't know how the fight sort of went, but it made a really funny story. And me being one who's always on the lookout for a bit of a bit of a yarn that I can tell in rhyme, I wrote wrote a poem called Sue and the Beaver and sent it to her down in Sydney and and yeah, within a couple of weeks Sue's literary agent was on the phone to me and asked me if I had any more poems and then pitched the idea of me putting thirty or forty or fifty together and attributing a short story to each one, which I did, and sent the manuscript. With a couple of weeks, we got the feedback that HarperCollins would publish. So it's been a, it's just been a really great ride, really. Yeah, now how exciting is that, everybody? Never let it be said that being in the right place at the right time uh, can't actually give your, I guess, your profile a little boost along when when uh, you, you happen to speak to the right people. Uh, I think that is really great. And thank you, Sue, because without you, this book may not have come into being. Now, this book has um, received some great accolades, hasn't it? It's going really well. It's probably beyond my expectations, really. When when the book came out, I had no idea what to expect, and I was a little bit, yeah, afraid, really. But but now it's certainly it's certainly done really well, and and probably the best accolade I could have got for the book was that Jack Thompson has done the audio on it, and he's done a really really good job of the audio version, and it runs for nearly seven seven hours, and and I don't think I could have got anyone better to do the job. It's always a little bit of a worry when you hand your work to someone else, but Jack's really interpreted the poems really well and, and I don't think I could have done a you know better job myself. And it's just amazing getting his a man of his, you know, calibre and, and talent involved and associated with, with my book. Yeah. Now, uh, for our international audience, Tim, can you fill us in a little bit? Uh, tell us why Jack Thompson is the ideal narrator for this story, other than yourself. Oh, well, I think Jack Jack would do it even better than me, I think. But, but no, Jack is just an iconic, iconic Australian actor, I guess. He's, yeah, he's just got a really, really very listenable two voice and... and he, he loves his bush poetry himself and and he's just yeah, done a really, really good job, really good job with it. 
Yeah, now everyone everyone here in Australia knows Jack Thompson. Um, he's certainly a handsome hero in all our eyes uh, and he represents everything that is, uh, I guess, the the epitome of the Australian male, and I talk about the bush male more so than our than our city males, I guess, um, and we have we hold him up, don't we? We hold him up to great esteem. I think in the olden days it used to be Paul, um, Paul Hogan, but nowadays it's Jack Thompson. Uh, so for Tim to have his book picked up by um, uh, Jack Thompson and read has certainly given it far more reach than perhaps would normally have happened uh, with you on your own. Mm. But having said oh, that, yeah, absolutely. yeah, having said that, the quality of your work is is clearly there. Um, have you? Can you tell us a little bit about what Harper Collins said to you and how they um, pitched you to put that book out? Oh, not particularly. I think, yeah, I just. Put the manuscript together over a few months in mid 2016, and sent the manuscript down. and And yeah, the agent shopped it around a bit, and and they just felt it was something something a bit different, mm. a bit different that's in the current current market. And, and the little stories that go with the poem that sort of gives the whole book a bit of a bit of a unique. Well, it's quite a unique concept, really, and. And they felt that it wasn't a pure you know, storybook and it wasn't a pure poetry book, but a you know, combination between the two. And they thought it was a concept that was worth you know, running with. And, and I think it's been very well uh, justified. We started to get a few sales figures coming through now and, and the book's, yeah, going, going very, very well. Yeah. Now, I've got to say congratulations, Tim, again. Uh, this... This this idea, uh, now I've lived on the road um, in my caravan and I've travelled a lot with the grey nomads and I've travelled to a lot of places in Australia where the population is very small and I assume that this would be a fantastic talking point as, as people share the stories that you've put in your book. What experience have you had, because uh, you've been on the road a lot promoting this uh, and you run Timbuk Tours, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, you've got to love the title, everyone. Uh, tell us... What kinds of experiences have you had since you've been on the road promoting this? Oh, well, it's been great. I've been to all corners. I've been to Melbourne, Darwin, Sydney, uh, Alice Springs. One of the biggest thrills I've got, I went out to Alice Springs a couple of weeks ago and I looked up another legendary Australian singer-songwriter by the name of Ted Egan. And Ted's done a really good job for a lot of years promoting the Australian bush and the Australian outback and paying tribute to a lot of our Australian you know, pioneering pioneering people. And and Ted's a man of probably 84 or 5 now. And he, he's pretty, held in pretty high esteem through the country music industry. And, and anyway, I went out there and told Ted, sent Ted an email about the book and he was more than happy to come in. We came, he came in and we shared a beer or two in the pub in Alice Springs one afternoon and then he invited us out to his to his home the following afternoon and we had early tea with him and, and to sit there and have a beer with a yeah, a man of Ted Egan's, you know, calibre and and status in Australian uh, musical history type thing. It was just a yeah, it was just an amazing experience. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I read about you, uh, Tim, as I was preparing for this interview, is that you're a very unassuming man. And listening to you talk, you 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 are a typical, I think, typical Australian where you you don't take the glory for yourself. But these poems 
uh, that you write, all these bush ballads, they are they are what we consider, I guess, the backbone of the Australian story, aren't they? Now, you talk about Banjo Patterson and Henry Lawson. What is it about the inspiration of these guys that, that um, I guess, inspires your passion? Oh, well, I just think I grew up with an affinity with rhythm and rhyme. I, yeah, I just really appreciated the way that they could tell a story, not only in rhyme, but maintain their rhythm throughout as well. And it's something I've always aspired to. I think I probably never really started writing till I was I'm 48 now. I was probably nearly 30 before I started you know, putting pen to paper. But but I read their works for a lot of years before I started myself. And and yeah, it's just just the way they could tell a story and and uh, make it make it interesting and make it make it you know flow off the tongue the way they could do it and and it's just a challenge that I've always yeah found found yeah challenging I guess and and I'll still look for that whenever I yeah I see a bit of a story I'm I'm writing pretty much all the time and and but I never deviate from the old you know rhythm and rhyme all my rhyming poetry at all you know might be structured a bit differently but different rhyming pat- patterns but but basically it all yeah it all adheres to the old rhythm and rhyme and and banjo patterson and henry lawson definitely had a big influence on all that uh look i have attended so many bush poetry days uh in in my um travels and i'm thinking of the charters towers bush poetry festival now they pack them in up there uh for these events and people come from all over queensland and we have professional photographers taking pictures and they have all the music people the country music festival people uh so i know charters towers fairly well and then there's tamworth further down isn't there in new south wales are you going to oh there is yeah, yeah are you going to hit the circuit and take your book to all those places i'd like to yeah i'm not a, i'm not a performer as such i'm not one that gets up and i'll, I'll get up and recite i'm quite happy reciting to people but i'm not a not a, as such it's, it's actually a bit a bit, bit, bit different but being a performer or or just a writer of bush verse um i think the performers are the ones that are really in demand they can really make people laugh and and they're really entertaining and they're really good to listen and, and watch as well, whereas I'm more, I'd probably get more enjoyment out of, yeah, just writing in my own time and, and yeah, hopefully we'll get another book together sometime. So we're not going to convince you to get up on the stage and, and compete with all, a lot of the women are as good <laughs> no, as the men, not. aren't they? <laughs> oh, they are, they're good. Yeah. All right, one of the... One no, of the, there's, a, there's a big yeah. following. No, there's a big following in bush poetry, really. There's quite a big, big, big movement towards bush poetry now. People just really like being entertained and, and they like to laugh and, and get the more, more, more enjoyment they can get, the better. And I, I think it's the settings of some of these places. Like for anyone who hasn't been to Winton, everybody, it is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's on the way to um, Cloncurry and Mount Isa up through the centre of Queensland, I suppose. Uh, and it's dinosaur country up there and it's got a population the population would if it was a thousand i would be surprised but it's got a lot of stations around in the outback um in the surrounding areas uh that winton writers festival has turned out to be really popular and i'm guessing it's because of that um country feel and that uh, is it ambience or ambience and the sunsets and things like that would you find that you'll continue to go back to that one oh no i'll definitely go to winton i'll keep going to winton Winton, I guess, is probably the yeah famously remembered as the place where 
Banjo Patterson wrote and performed while singing Matilda for the first time back in about 1895. So it's got a big, big history with Banjo Patterson out there. And and incidentally, they're just opening a brand new 23 or $4 million uh, Welsing Matilda Centre out in Winton in two weeks' time in on the 20th of April. And I'm uh, aiming to have another book launch out in the Winton Library on the day before. On the 19th of April, we booked in to do a book launch in the library out there. But, but no, Winton's really, yeah, been a big part of this book, you know, coming to fruition. And, and I'll definitely keep on supporting supporting Winton and, and going back, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's this book you're launching again. It's the Walsing Australia that you're launching yeah, it again? Is. Yeah, Walsing Australia will launch it, launch it again. Yeah, they couldn't be, there wouldn't be a more fitting. Walsing Australia and Walsing Matilda, they sort of go hand in hand a bit together and and yeah, I'm just proud that that yeah I can contribute something to the yeah something to the region and and follow in the footsteps. Only yeah, very in a minor way, but yeah, follow in the footsteps of people like Banjo and Henry too, I guess. Yeah, and now Winton has had some hard times lately, which is why it's got its new uh, Walsing Matilda Centre. Uh, do you know much about that? Oh, well, I know it's nearly finished. The old one burnt down in 2015 and they've had a terrible few years of drought. It's been really you know, drought-stricken through a lot of that, you know, Western country. But they recently had fairly good rain and, and I'm just hoping that, yeah, they, they get a good good response from that. But as far as the Walsing Matilda Centre goes, it'll be a real, real boost for tourism out there. And, and, and yeah, they, they do tourism really well on the back of either... Yeah, Banjo Patterson or dinosaurs, as you mentioned, or the you know rich pastoral industry out there, and they do it really good. And and you just got to walk up the street in the middle of winter out there, and there's caravans and camper trailers everywhere, and the tourists you know bring a lot of money into the town. And and this new Welsing Matilda Centre will certainly help all that as well. Yeah. Now, everybody, you've got to you've got to picture this, especially if you're if you don't know regional or outback Australia very well. You can drive for hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, and you will get very very excited if you see a tree. It is so flat; there is absolutely <laughs> nothing out there. And then, as you get closer to, I guess, the south, you start to see a bit of grass, and you start to see the, um, I guess, the wildflowers on the side of the road, and you you get to see those stark contrasts as as you travel around that countryside now you're from west of Quilpie um, and you've been you're part of a uh, generations of I guess outback outback cocky farmers is how does that inspire you does that still come into play in your poetry no well I yeah probably does the early when I first started writing you yeah you'd be sitting behind sheep or cattle all day long on the back of a motorbike or or something and and yeah, putting poetry together is just a yeah good way to pass the time, I suppose. And and that's really why I started the first ten or fifteen or twenty poems I wrote were actually all about chasing feral feral goats, actually, and all the different dramas we had in trying to yard yard and catch these feral uh, goats. And and yeah, I put my first self-published little book was almost completely devoted to uh, catching goats. I think so. So yeah, but that's how it all started, and, and I've branched right away from from the old goat theme now. But but that's how it all started. But just to, yeah, filling time and and 
then yeah, you get a bit of satisfaction and enjoyment out of it too, I, I suppose. But that's how it all started. Yeah. Yeah, I've got this wonderful quote from Beef Central, who is a magazine that reviewed your book, and I just want to read it to you, everyone, because it's just gorgeous. Amid the swirling dust and discordant bellows of a slow-moving mob of cows and calves, a stockman sits idling, or sits on an idling ag bike. A cobra hat bowed down, pen scribbling away furiously in a notebook. Now, those two images were just so incongruous when they came together. I just wanted to share that with mm. you um, because we do have that iconic image in our head, don't we, of the Aussie bloke out there in his cobra um, rattling around in the dust, rounding up the cattle. Uh, so to be sitting there writing your poetry, the atmosphere of them would be just wonderful. Yeah, no, that's literally how they all, you know, came together. I'd be, yeah, I'd always have the notebook in the pocket and, and you'd pull up under a tree and chop down a couple of lines and go again. And, and often the sheep or cattle would be, you know, meandering further and further away from you type thing. But when you had a bit of a line in your head, you just had to get it down on paper. And and it's just amazing how they all, you know, they'd, they'd come together. And often by the end of the day, you'd come home and, and yeah, you'd have another poem that you could do something with and, and yeah, it was just a great way of yeah, spending spending time and it's pretty boring a lot of time sitting behind sheep or cattle by yourself and, and um yeah, it's just a good way to yeah, get a bit more enjoyment out of it, I suppose. Yeah. And it's creativity and art meets um the outback everyone. Is that how your Timbuk uh what is it, Timbuk Tours came about? Oh well no, not really. I think it was well, I never, I've never worked for anyone being your own boss out in the bush type thing. It's what, once you move down down into the city, it's, you still don't like working for anyone else. You still want to be your own boss. And, and it was just one way that I enjoy driving and, I, you know, I love looking at new country and, and getting getting around the place. And, and it's just a good way of blending that. I just felt that there were surely there were people. It's probably I cater for the more older older people who can't handle you know public transport or or haven't got the methods or means of you know getting out into the bush and and yeah I just thought that I could maybe start something that gave them a few options and and provided a yeah a hassle free you know trip out in the bush for them or wherever they want to go really and. And it's not only good for them, it's good for me too. Yeah, and do you think we're only just starting to realise the uh, what we have and the lifestyle we live in, in the outback, we take a little bit for granted because I'm in the centre of Brisbane now and as I'm talking to you, I think of when I lived out at Cloncurry and I think of all those beautiful places, uh, you really do have to be resilient out there, don't you? Oh, you do, you definitely do. It's a pretty tough, you know, tough way of life and... The seasons are certainly, certainly not, not, not always in your favour. You do a lot of, you know, tough years between before a good year, and and yeah, just just learning to live with the isolation, I guess. But but then again, you know, people in the bush, they they love it out there, and and we we only move for you know family reasons. A lot of yeah, I often you know pine for the bush too now, and it's a big it's a big thing to walk away from, but. But yeah, you do. You do definitely have to be pretty tough to live out there and and take what nature throws at you and and carry on, carry on regardless. But but yeah, it's a great way of life. But but yeah, we just yeah for our own reasons, we sort of have to make the make the choice to move down here. And, and yeah, we're just making the best of it. I think. 
Yeah, and you're not far from the outback anyway. If you just drive straight west, you get out into some pretty interesting country, don't you? Well, we're on, we're on the edge of it pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, we talked about um, your why you write your why you write your poems, but we haven't talked about some of the subject matter. I just want to touch, I've, I've written down three here and I'm not, I, I'm not really sure which one to, to focus on. I've got the Chinchilla Killer, I've got uh, Slim Dusty and Jeannie Gunn. Now, all of those are, I guess, well known to us here in Australia, aren't they? They are. I've definitely tried to, yeah, they're all very, very relevant with our, with our past, I guess. The Steve Handley, the Chinchilla Killer, as you call him, he um, he shore for us at home for years. He was a gun shearer, one of the best you know shearers you'd ever find. Who sadly lost his life. Jeannie Gunn was pretty instrumental in opening up the Northern Territory type thing. She was the only white woman up in the Northern Territory for a long, long time, and and well, she's only actually there for twelve months. But but coming from Melbourne town, she really she really. You know, she loved it up there in the Territory in, in, in a time when she was probably the only white woman in the Territory. And, and so she, she she was pretty amazing there. And, and Slim Dusty, I mean, I've always loved old Slim and, and his words and music probably influenced my writing too to a, to a fairly large degree. Yeah. Now, Jenny Gunn, let's focus on her. She wrote a book, everyone, um, for those of you who don't know, called Weave the Never Never, and it's held up as a bit of a classic um, because we do take our, that outback lifestyle for granted, but now we have our city kids study it and, and there is absolutely no connection at all. Do you feel that you're bridging a gap uh, between, I guess, the past and the present in some ways? Oh, I definitely think so. I think there's a lot of stories in this book that people aren't 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 aware of really and and I just think it's a way through through poetry and rhyme you can you can tell a bit of a story and and you can yeah, convey you can convey quite a message in a fairly short time. Some of these poems actually run to, you know, five or six hundred, seven hundred words, but but they're all very, very different and they focus on different different things, paying tribute to different people and and I've been told, you know, time and time again that people, you know, through my poetry, they've, you know, learned learned things that they never knew, never knew about, or never realised, or, or just never, never given any thought to, I suppose. So yeah, I just, as well as providing a bit of entertainment, you, I, I feel that I'm providing a bit of in a historical documentation as well. Yeah, and, and look, it's really important as a teacher, I, I think it's really important that uh, our kids are exposed to a lifestyle. And I guess it's a freedom, like we hold it up as a romantic lifestyle, uh, but it's not. I think Frank Morehouse uh, has just put out, or he put out a book last year on The Drover's Wife. Now, we've all studied that for years, mm. but artists over time continue to reinterpret and retell those stories using modern forms. Uh, uh, do you think that people will pick up your book and your collection in Walsing, Australia, and young artists will be inspired to make their own interpretations? Oh, well, it's hard to know, really, but, but yeah, maybe. I, I just don't know what will happen in that regard, but but I've just done what I can do and where, where it goes or who, you know, makes whatever whatever they, they will of it, I think. But, but no, I'm just really... I'm really pleased with this collection. It's probably... Yeah, it's a sort of 50, 50 poems, and they're all they're all my 
I, I couldn't really pick out a favourite one between them all. They're all good. They're all going you know, to tell a story. And, and yeah, it's just an amazing opportunity to get the yeah, chance to put them in, in, in a book form and get them out there on a wider wider stage so people can can get to see them and make it make make of them what they will yeah now i'm going to let you off the hook soon tim uh, it's like the english teacher in interrogating interrogation isn't it so i, I apologize uh one last question do with your um poems how did you choose what stories to go with what poem no oh, well basically i picked the 50 i've, so, I've probably written over 200 200 poems now and and the idea of this book was to pick my favorite 50 which i did and yeah then i just one by one by one i just said about yeah setting a little story to each one and, and the stories just give a bit more background behind each poem and and what inspired me to put it together and it was a really enjoyable process i really enjoyed the writing the little stories so probably all between you know five and six hundred words I think, but they just yeah give a bit more background and and how the how the poem came about and and people really seem to enjoy reading the little stories before the poem and and they get a bit of an idea of what I was thinking and you know how I was thinking at the time and how I went about putting the poem together. But but all these poems they come they come together actually fairly quickly. It's amazing how they come together. You, you start them off and before you know it, within a day or two they all just yeah they amazing way they, they come together. I surprise myself a bit sometimes how they how they how quickly they 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 just seem to form a bit of a bit of a bit of an idea and, and before you know it it's yeah basically done. Yeah. And that's and that's sort of that's that um inexplicable uh, creative muse I guess and that creative process uh, that you that you've clearly tapped into. What what's next for Tim Borthwick? What 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 are you planning? Are you another book of poetry? Well, I'd love to do another book of poetry, Melinda. I, um, yeah, I certainly got more than enough to go around again, and and I just hope that this concept has proved popular enough to justify another book. And if Harper Collins gave me that opportunity, I'd, I'd jump at it. And and just, uh, yeah, it's just been amazing seeing this book come out, like the interview with you today, and and I've spoken to Alan Jones on Sydney Radio, and. ABC out in Alice Springs, you just walk in and tell them you've got a book and a bit of a story to tell. And, and just the opportunities that it's thrown up, it's just been, been incredible, really. And, and to do it again, to do it again, it'd be really, really good. And I really do think that, yeah, it's important. It's just good to see that people in this day and age of you know social media and, and digital distractions that they still enjoy the old traditional rhythm and rhyme type poetry and and if I can contribute continue to yeah contribute to our lyrical heritage in in rhyming form and paying tribute to some of those pioneer pioneers of the past type thing and which is what I'm trying to do and yeah just yeah maybe I can make a career out of this writing I'm not too sure but but it'll be certainly great to go around again I love it. We'd all kill to make a career in this gig called writing. And I know our um, beautiful Australian romance authors are doing so very well at the moment. And I think what you do, Tim, is you tap into our psyche um, because 
most of us can relate to to what you're what you're talking about. Um, there'd be very few, even kids, I think, who don't know Henry Lawson and Banjo Patterson. And I know Jackie French. She writes a lot around um, our early Australian history as well. It'd be interesting to yeah. to see where you do go to next. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think there should be more of it, not less of it. So we might hit Harper Collins together yeah. and say, "We want more. We want more." And I can tell yeah. you, I uh, hope so. Yeah, and I know our I know our grey nomads. I know our caravanners are out there and and loving the kind of thing that you do. Uh, are we allowed to beg you to read us a story now or, or a poem or have you not got something with you? Oh, no, I've got the whole book here. I can <laughs> I can have a go at something, yeah. Um, we better do something reasonably short. What about if we do the genie gun? The genie gun, one that we were talking about. Yeah, everyone, that's um, based on, as I said, We of the Never Never. Um, now, she was around in the 1860s, I think she was born. It was it was a very long time ago. So I'd love to hear your interpretation of that. And Jeannie Gunn, her book, We of the Never Never, I've made reference to We of the Never Never in the poem, but, but yeah, that book sold a million copies now and, and it just tells the story of a yeah, an era that we'll never see again and probably can't even imagine how, how tough it was. But she was a young girl straight from Melbourne, married up into the Northern Territory, and, and things would have been literally very, very tough in those days. And But the way she made the most of it, she was only there for a year, unfortunately, but she would, would have stayed there forever, I think. And I've tried to portray that in the poem as well. So here we go. Jeannie Gunn, We of the Never Never. In a park in Mataranka, on the road to Banka Banka, where the evening shadows deepened with the setting of the sun, it was getting on for twilight when I noticed in the headlight the familiar stance and posture and the face of Jeannie Gunn. There's never been much writing done to match the book of Jeannie Gunn, who wrote the epic story of an age we never knew. She wrote of times when things were tough, of younger days and living rough, and made it sound a picnic to the likes of me and you. I'd recently been reading, and was only now conceding, that her classic early novel was the best I'd ever read, of her so-called Never Never, where she loved to live forever, while I travelled to the Elsie from the comfort of my bed. With empathy and feeling, which her readers found appealing, she had painted vivid pictures all throughout her famous book, of a year in isolation and her outback education, with the dandy, the maluka, and their faithful Chinese cook. We were in the same location as the cherished Elsie Station in that northern frontier country where the Roper River runs, where the packhorse and the drover, bringing mobs of cattle over, would be made to feel most welcome at the homestead of the guns. She was young and rather pretty when she set out from the city with her newly married husband to this rugged top-end run, while the blokes around the station, to their utter consternation, were not happy with the prospect of a Mrs. Cheney Gun. For coming straight from Melbourne town with fancy dress and flowing gown, the locals feared she never lasted or fit in with this place. The whitest woman ever seen to infiltrate their male routine, she'd set her mind to prove them wrong with dignity and grace. She saw a season hard and lean, the driest sweat we've ever seen, where cattle were all dying that have never died before. Her mail would come by horse and pack, a welcome sight along the track, a thousand-mile-round journey brought the fizzer to her door. This wild and still unsettled land was brought to heel by rope and brand, 
with Jeannie and her husband holding steady on the reins. Where scrubber bulls would call your bluff, the nearest palms not high enough, where crocodiles lay waiting and the black men roamed the plains. In this park in Mataranka, where the road train and the tanker rumble up and down the highway every day and every night, by a gum tree tall and supple stands a statue of a couple silhouetted in the shadows till they greet the morning light. In 12 short months of wedded life, she proved herself a loving wife. For him and for this country, she will never cease to grieve. The Maluka now is resting with young Jeannie's soul requesting that they stay here on the Elsie and they never, ever leave. There you go, everybody. Uh, absolutely beautiful, Tim. I could sit there and listen to you recite your poetry all day. I think, everyone, that um, there is something in our hearts when we when we listen to bush poetry. Uh, you can find the details of Tim's poet, uh, new book, uh, Waltzing in Australia, Stories of Ballads and uh, Under the Outback Sky. Um, I'll put them in my show notes. Uh, Tim's got his own website there, I noticed, at Timbuk Tours. Tim, I would love to have you back on again, maybe when you're out at Winton in, in, uh, later in the year and we could chat again. Right, that would be a good one. No, I look forward to that. No, I can certainly give you a bell from out there and give you a bit of a running commentary of how we go in, in Winton and, and I'll let you know how we go at the launch in a couple of weeks' time. And, and Yeah, but thanks very much for having us. Okay, and we, we wish you all the best out at Winton, Tim, and we wish the Walsing Matilda Centre. If you're out that way, everybody, please make sure you drop in. I mean, when you're out that way, you've got to deliberately go there because there's no other way of getting there. Uh, it has fallen on hard times. We lost a lot of our Australian iconic artefacts when, when the original information centre burnt down, which is really, really sad. But in good, true Aussie spirit, it's all been built up again, and the people like Tim who are making sure that it's a success this time round. Uh, thank you. That's it from another episode of Writer on the Road. Mm-hmm.